Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here at Greater Alton Church. Uh, my name's Tim, and uh, if it's your first time here, we're glad you could be with us this morning. We're right now in the middle of this storyteller series, and we've been looking at all the different stories of Jesus. And today I want to talk about probably the most popular, the most popular story Jesus ever told, because it has made an unforgettable impact on the conscience of mankind. I mean, I think of the, the story of Jesus being on the cross, coming to this world, dying on the cross, raising from the dead three days later is the greatest story ever told but the greatest story he ever told is this one right here about the good samaritan we're very familiar with this passage it's it's a story of four people in this there are five characters but four main characters in this story you have the guy that's been beat up on the road then the three fellows that that happen across him they have to see him we see two pass by one stops and helps him out so it's about a guy helping somebody in the time of need helping a stranger also you're going to notice that this has been called the most practical parable or the most practical story jesus has ever shared with people it's packed with all kinds of specific practical ways in which we can help people. Now if you'd like to turn uh, to Luke uh, chapter 10, that's where we're going to be reading, verses 25 through 37. As I was researching the stuff behind this parable, it's possible that this story actually happened. Some people believe it may have not have been a parable at all, but just a story he's telling that everybody could relate to. Now, parables are stories that people can relate to and identify with, but this particular story you find may be true because it was an offensive story, a very offensive story to those that were hearing it. Well, how was it offensive, Tim? Well, the hero in this story is not a Jew, but a Samaritan. And Samaritans were, well, they just were not liked by the Jews, for a way to say it nicely. They hated them. They, had, they didn't want to associate with them. Remember when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan woman, and said, you know, you're not supposed to be talking to me because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And they didn't. Sometimes a Jew, if he was coming home, walking, and he had to go through Samaria, he would walk around it. He would cross the Jordan and walk around the country or walk another way because he didn't want to step foot on Samaritan soil. You could be kicked out of your home if you, and kicked out of the community if you associated with a Samaritan. Now, why is that? Why such, why such the rub? Why such the prejudice? Well, it goes way back way back when Israel as a nation was captured by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. You remember because of the rebellion of Israel, Babylon and, or Assyria first took the northern kingdom around 722 B.C. And then it was followed by Nebuchadnezzar taking not only Assyria, but also the southern of Assyria's territory, which included the northern kingdom, but also the southern kingdom of Judah in about 528, somewhere in there, B.C. And so you have... You have all these people that uh, when, when the nation was taken over, called the captivity, when a nation would take them over, invade them and take over, they would deport everybody out of that country that had any kind of influence or power, anybody that could make trouble. And they basically left the losers, those that really didn't have any, any influence or any power, behind. You read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah seems to be left behind, and he isn't happy with it. Why am I left behind with all these losers, you know? And God, God has a purpose for you, Jeremiah. So you, have, so you have this, you have these people deported. So there's some still Jews remaining in, 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 in Israel, but they're not the influential, the powerful, the, they would call the socially elite or intellectual. 
Then you also have, when, ba- when Babylon took over and took that country as well as the southern uh, kingdom, all those people, again, were deported out of, out of Judah. And, and what was brought in to replace the people in both the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel was all of these uh, foreigners. Well, the Jews that remained there begin to become friends with these foreigners, and they begin to marry these foreigners, and they begin to have families, and they were of mixed race. And because of that, they called them Samaritans. Now, the thing about the Samaritans is when the exiles finally came back, the Samaritans wanted to help rebuild the temple, and the Jews said no, because you kind of, you kind of sold out. You slept with the enemy, much like in World War II, there was a lot of other countries uh, that were taken over by Germany, and a lot of the citizens of those countries began to intermingle with the Germans. They were referred to as traitors. And so the Samaritans were not looked upon in a positive light. Not at all. And so they had a, a big disdain for these people. The Jews did. So when Jesus is telling this story and makes this Samaritan uh, a hero, you know that's got to offend them. And if, and if this was a made-up story, the Jews could blow this story off and simply say, you just made it up out of your head. So it must have really happened, because no Jew disputes it. There must have been moments where people heard where someone helped somebody on the road, and it was a Samaritan of all people helping people out. And so Jesus lifts this man up. He lifts this man up. And here in, here in uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to start reading this story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. It's a lawyer, a Jewish lawyer. Now, don't everybody try to find a lawyer in the crowd. Okay, we got one. So this idea about an expert in the law stood up. And notice his motive isn't very pure, because it's not pure at all. He's testing Jesus. He's trying to trap him. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a lot of questions in this story. And it starts off with this simple question of, what must I do to inherit life with God? A relationship with God. What's it mean to have eternal life and and inherit it? And Jesus answers, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? You know, it's important what God says, but it's important what you believe. And so he asked this expert in the law, you know the laws, you know what the Bible says, how do you read it? And he answers this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. By the way, that's Deuteronomy 6. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19. He's quoting them. And he should. He's an expert. You've answered correctly, Jesus Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. You do this. You love God and love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to live this, this, this eternal life with God. But he wanted to justify himself. Here we go. The lawyer wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's asking, who is this neighbor of mine? Now the word neighbor in the Greek text means someone, uh, a, a family member or a friend or a companion. It could be a countryman. And to the Jew, when they thought of neighbors, they only thought of other Jews. They didn't think of anybody else. Much like today, you know, we have nations that have borders, and it's very distinct. People live in this country or this people, and the people live in this country or these people, and a line divides them. 
And so here in America, we're a melting pot. We're, a, we're all calico cats, in a, I guess, or, or a, a mutts in some ways. We've got a mix of about every kind of nationality you can imagine here in America. But here, here we see it's not that way at all. Okay? And so, so he's saying, who's my neighbor? Who's the Jewish neighbor? He, he's not a guy that's helping his neighbor, but he's trying to justify, well, get more specific who the neighbor is. And see, Jesus isn't limiting the neighborhood of this man to other Jews or his own countrymen or his town or his family or his friends, but it's to everyone. Everyone. You know, God loves everyone. Do you love everyone? Wow. I, no. No. I'm very selective. I'm, I'm picky. I have my list, don't you? You say, well, I have people that are difficult to love. Oh, be honest. There are some people you just don't love. There are some people you don't think you have to love. God loves everybody. And this parable could be, it could be that Jesus is saying, I'm the good Samaritan. Whereas the, the Levite and the priest who come back from temple don't care about my people, I will. Even though I'm a stranger to them by now, I will. And it's possible that that could be that he's trying to say in this parable. But the lawyer's trying to justify himself. He's trying to find a way to get a loophole here and say, look, I don't have to love everybody, so who's my neighbor? Narrow it down for me. In reply, Jesus said, a man, and by the way, this man's probably Jewish. How do you know that, Tim? He's probably Jewish. That's what most people think. I'm not so sure. It just says a man was going down to Jerusalem from Jericho, and when he and he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It's about uh, 3,600 feet drop in sea level from Jerusalem to Jericho. In 20 miles, it drops that much. So there's lots of switchbacks and narrow paths and rocky places you have to go. 20 miles away to get to, from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's the shortest way, but it's the most dangerous way. With all these switchbacks and curves, it's a place just ready for, for people to, to uh, beat you up, to take your things for theft. Jerome in, in the 4th century would call the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, the red and bloody way. Why? Because it was notorious for people being killed and robbed on a daily basis. As early as, well, even in the 1930s, a missionary who traveled the road was warned, Are you crazy? People are killed and robbed on this road every day. And today, today, people are robbed and killed on this road every day. You know, the most you know what the most dangerous street is in the United States right now? It's Route 15 in downtown East St. Louis. Right in the middle of town. The most dangerous road street you could be on is just a stone throw away from here. You know what the most dangerous highway is in America right now? Highway 10 in Arizona. Highway 10. The, most, the third most dangerous is the million-dollar highway that goes from Uray, Colorado to Silverton. My brother and I have been on that road. I've been on that road with Vernon. I've been on that road several times. And I'll tell you, it is dangerous. No guardrails. You go off, you're off the road. You're off-roading. <laughs> but this, this road, 
makes these look safe and easy. And so this guy is stripped of his clothes. He's beaten. He's attacked by robbers. And they leave him for dead. They think he's dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Here's a guy who had just come from temple. Just come from being with God. He serves A priest serves about two weeks out of the year. So his tour of duty is over. And he's walking home. To, why is he going to Jericho? Because Jericho is where the priests lived. Most of the priests, 90% of the priests lived in Jericho. And so he's on his way home, just fresh out of the presence of God. Worshiping and sacrificing uh, to God on behalf of the people. And he sees this man on the same road he's on. You you, uh, Bible scholars out there and you Bible thinkers, just think of what that implies. They're on the same road as you and I. They're on the same road. And he sees him and passes by. He notices him and passes by. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. Many people believe the Levite saw maybe a little more detail. He kind of looks at him, and he can see he's breathing, and he might hear a moan. And he goes ahead and walks on by as well. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. Right there, those four words are probably the most marvelous words in the passage. He went to him. He noticed him and went to him. And what's he do? And bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He sanitized his cuts and bruises and put something soothing on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. In other words, that would be saying like uh, he put him in his Mustang and... and, uh, went on down the road brought him to an inn and took care of him there's another four words that are very powerful and took care of him he took care of him what's that mean? we don't know it covers a lot the next day he took out two denarii now we learned that a denarii is worth a day's wage so here's two days wages I don't care how much money you make you make minimum wage or you're lucky enough to make maximum wage whatever it is two days wages in your world is a lot of money right? two days he takes two days wages and he says he gave them to the innkeeper he gets some help Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you. What? What are you doing? You're giving him your charge card number? Are you crazy? Whatever, there are any more expenses, let me know. I'll take care of it. Then Jesus asks the question, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? To the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law, look what he does. He can't say it. He can't even say the name. He cannot say Samaritan. It turns his stomach. So what's he do? Well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus tells him this. He says, you go and do likewise. You do that. You'll do that and live. You do that. It's that important. How many times, guys, have you read a story like this? And like a lawyer, you got questions. And they, and they try to justify. What do you mean, Tim? Well, like, we ask questions like, does this mean I should pick up hitchhikers? Anybody ever thought that? I have. I've thought that. Do I have to pick up hitchhikers? Do I have to help people that are, that are stranded on the road? 
Now, this is my opinion. If you're about 110 pounds soaking wet, you may not want to do that. If you're big as Brandon, you know, some of these big guys in here, you know, Ben, I know Ben, he's tough. You know, maybe you could, I wouldn't worry so much about you, but if you're a little petite person, you're Beth, man. I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, she's right out of the water, but I don't know. That's my opinion. But I have to admit, we think that sometimes. Well, that could be dangerous. Remember, we're on the same road. We're already in danger. And this is called the red and bloody way, so it's a reputation for being dangerous. Sometimes helping people will put you in danger. That's not my question, Tim. I want to know, how far should I go in helping people? I mean, how far do you go? I mean, you don't want to enable people. Here's a guy here, that two days wages and plus some. How far do you go? And by the way, I don't think we have a problem enabling people here. Um, When it comes to helping... I looked at all my sermons. I researched. I did search. I'm trying to find a place where I said anything about, hey, you're helping, you're helping people too much, so you need to be careful not to enable people. I couldn't find it. And I went into our archives. It's never been preached here. And then I did a Google search. Oh, my gosh, Google. I did a Google search. And there was no sermon from any preacher saying, you're helping people too much. Stop it. You might enable them. But you should. You, you ought to be concerned about enabling people. Well, yeah. But I just noticed this guy gives two days' wages and then offers to reimburse. He picks him up. He takes him into town. He spends a couple of days helping this guy. How far do I go? I don't know. You figure it out. Here's another one. You say, it's not that one, Tim. I want to know, what if they take advantage of you? I mean, what about that? Anybody ever thought that? I've thought that. What if they take advantage of me? The thing is, some will. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. Some people will take advantage of you. I mean, here's Jesus who loved everybody and helped everybody. And did they take advantage of him? Here's, a, here's another question to think about. Have you ever taken advantage of Jesus Christ? So if I, ta- and I have, I have many times, if I've taken advantage of Jesus Christ, and he's, as He's helped me, wouldn't it make sense that people are going to take advantage of me as I help them? Well, Tim, my question is none of those. It's more like this. Do I help those who won't help themselves? What about those people? You know, the lazy, irresponsible. I mean, what's this guy doing going down the most dangerous road in the world? What an irresponsible guy. Like, I've never been lazy or irresponsible. Where do we get off acting like that? You know what I noticed about this passage? Jesus does not tell us anything about the man's character on this road. We don't know. We really don't know if he's Jewish, although the scholars say he is. We're not sure. He probably is, but we don't know anything about this man. We don't know if he's lazy. We don't know if he's a hard worker. We don't know if he's dishonest. We don't know anything about this guy except he's about to die. He needs help. He's hurt. He's beat up. He could be anyone. By the way, how has God treated you 
when you've been lazy and irresponsible? How do you want God to treat you? Oh, I want Him to treat me with grace. You know, I, I tell you, guys, I, I, God has stepped in and helped me many times. I do know this. It's not always the help I've wanted. But it was definitely the help I needed. Make sense? <laughs> and so we ask, you know, I don't know what your question is. You might have a question. The lawyer did. Jesus had a few. I just know this. We ask so many questions sometimes to qualify and justify who we think we should help that we end up hardly helping anybody. That's where I'm at with it. Because I can always find some reason not to help that person. I can always find an excuse or a reason or an excreason, which is a combination of the two. If I can do it, I'll find a way. And I don't, I'm not even sure if Jesus is interested in answering these kinds of questions in this passage. I'm not really sure. It seems that his focus is not on who we help, but are we going to be helpful? Because he switches the questions. He, he switches the focus by switching the question with this expert who's trying to test him and justify himself. He goes, really, you need to look at this. It's not necessarily, who is my neighbor? That's what the lawyer asked. Who is my neighbor? But Jesus is asking, who is a good neighbor? He's asking, are you a good neighbor? Look at he says there in verses 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law says, the one who had mercy on him. He says, that's what you're to do. So he doesn't answer who his neighbor is. He doesn't answer that question. He answers, what kind of neighbor will you be? Because everybody is your neighbor. Now, I want to say something here. I don't know when to say it, so I'm going to say it now because it's on my mind now. All right? You and I can't help everybody. But all of us here can help somebody. And look how many people we could help if we all were good neighbors. You're not to help everybody. I'm not to help everybody. And if I'm helping somebody, you may not be the person that's even involved in it. And I may not be the person involved in the person you're helping. But, you know, praise God. If you're helping someone. Because that's how it's supposed to be in the kingdom of God. That's what he's describing here. See, the question is not, who do I help? But, am I helpful? Am I helpful? The question is not, who do I love, Tim? Who do I love, God? But, am I loving And I believe this story is teaching us something here this morning. And that is there's a thing called practical mercy. There's this love and mercy and grace and compassion that's transformed into some kind of action in a practical way. Because this man took pity on the man and did something. So love is not limited to my emotions. I remember as a kid or as a teen, I'd say, Denise, I love you. And she'd look at me kind of funny. Maybe because I, two minutes ago, I said something about, I love pizza. You know? And just at the heat of the moment, or I'm, you know, you really, do you really love me or you just like me a lot? Is that what you're doing here? Is it lust or is it really love? It took years for me to understand this. Love 
is more than an emotion. It's not limited to my emotion. It's not limited to, and according to this story, it's not limited to my agenda. My life will be interrupted if I help people. So I need to change my agenda to God's agenda to be ready to help people. And, it, and, and of course, love, I notice here, love and compassion, is not limited to my friends or my family. You know, guys, my, my sons I'd do anything for, and my, and my daughter-in-laws, and my grandkids. Why? We share DNA. Last night I watched my youngest son play soccer. The Alton uh, Marquette alma mater soccer game, annual game. And here comes my son out. And I remember you know, when he was in high school, skinny as a rail, had the lungs of a horse. Now, he's married, has a kid, and he's a little thick in the midsection. I noticed that for the first time. Just a little. Just a little thick. And he's like this. And then he's... And that was warm-up. I mean, I was really worried about him. He comes off the field, Alton squeaks out a win, three to two, and he comes off the field, and I go, how you feel? I'm out of shape. I said, you looked hilarious out there. He, he still had the footwork. He could do that. But man, when he, some of these guys would run, you'd just see him go, you go ahead and have fun. I'll watch. I'd do anything. Do anything. They're my family. And I want to tell you, I don't want to change your mind on you taking care of your family one bit. But I'll tell you what I've learned is that my neighborhood's bigger than my DNA. It includes my church family. My friends and my church family. We're to help one another. i got to tell you guys, a couple of days ago I was sad. That's Supreme Court. What are we going to do? And I get to thinking. Yes, I'm an American, but I am a member of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And I've watched God's kingdom go through Babylonians, Assyrians, Romans, Greeks, Persians, Germans, just about everybody you can think of. And I know maybe our country is, we're going to have some problems. Maybe God's going to, by the way, someone said, God's going to come down on us. I'm going, where you been? <laughs> we are on the anvil right now. Why are you saying that? I'm saying we need each other more than ever in the kingdom of God. And not just in this circle, but everybody on this road. Everybody around here that calls themselves a follower of Jesus, we desperately need. We need each other. And what can I do about the Supreme Court? I can pray for my leaders, pray for the repentance of this nation. But i got to tell you, I probably need to spend some time praying about my personal repentance as a person. And be, be Christ. Be like Jesus. That's what this story's about. He's saying, this is how you help people, Tim. Well, I don't like, I, I'm not going to help somebody that's different than me. What, what are you talking about? What differences? Fill it in. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is, God loves them. 
while I help them. God needs more sons and daughters of Christ, more Jesuses, if you will, more than ever. More than ever. And all I know is, is that my country can, by the way, the Supreme Court just confirmed the immorality that was already going on. But it doesn't mean I have to accept it. But I can love people. And that's what's going to, I'm going to tell you, laws are not going to turn things around, folks. Love is going to do that. When we love people. And so this is not limited to my family or my church. And I want to tell you, I, I, I feel like at Greater Alton, this is my gut feeling, that we're limiting our love and help for people to our DNA family. And very little goes beyond that. It needs to spread in this congregation. We have people that need help and thinking somebody else is going to take care of it when God puts you in front of it isn't going to work. Isn't going to work. It says that we're not limited by our family and friends. Our limit is the neighborhood that God has and His neighborhood is the world. That's why Christianity is still the most charitable people on the planet. That's why Christians still we're doing all things all over the world. Oh, our government might drop a bunch of stuff here and there and yonder, but let me tell you, it's the Christians, it's the Christians that are going to make the difference. And you make the difference in your neighborhood. And what's your neighborhood? Everybody. Anybody that needs help. Now, one of the things I've got up here on the screen, I, I, I want to want you to see here is that loving God and loving others is the most important thing I can do as a Christian. That's what Jesus is talking about here in this parable. That loving God and loving others, and he happens to be talking about loving others here, is because remember the, the, the expert of the law says, he's asked, how do you read it? Well, you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus, which by the way, aren't Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are hinged on these two principles. God's real simple here, isn't he? If I would just concentrate on loving God and loving people, I could, I could experience eternal life. I could experience life with God. I could experience spiritual life. Heaven on earth. I mean, think about your decisions you would make if you concentrated on these two passages here in Matthew 22. What's the most important commandment in the law? Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and most important commandment. Just think of how your decisions, how better they would be if you focused on pleasing God and just God. But Jesus goes on to say in the next few verses here in Matthew 22, another commandment. The second most important is like this one. He's saying this is a very similar one. The difference is one's loving God. The other is loving others. Love others as much as you love yourself. And I get this idea about loving myself is relating to my experience with God's love. In other words, I'm loving others like God loves me as I see God loving me. All the law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commands. In other words, all, this, all the things that God has said don't make a flip a difference, guys. 
if I don't love God and love other people? It's the hinge pin. That's how important this is. They're inseparable. They relate to one another. And see, the lawyer brings this up, this idea, this concept to Jesus. And you know Jesus is going to agree with it because it's true. He even said it. And what is his response? He says to this man in verse 28 in Luke 10, Do this and you will live. He says, You apply these two things and you will live. It doesn't mean all the other laws and all the other commands don't matter. These two, though, are so big and so important. You see, Jesus is saying the secret to living is loving. The secret to really living like God is loving like God. The secret from heaven is helping others. It's this secret that's come from heaven is to help other people. That's why in verse 37, after the whole story's over, he says to this guy, go and do likewise. Do that. Do what this good Samaritan did that you read about in the paper, that you heard about from somebody. Do that kind of stuff, and you will live. It'll bless your life. You'll please your God. So Jesus is talking about being a good neighbor, not finding out who your neighbor is, but just being a good neighbor. So let me give you some thoughts here, and then we'll be done here. I'm a good neighbor. According to Jesus, I'm a good neighbor first when I look for needs. I learned this from the Good Samaritan. What makes this Samaritan so good? He looks for needs. You know, the thing that sticks out to me is here is a priest and a Levite. The, just the cold-hearted response they have to what's going on in front of them. They see this guy. He's half dead, been beaten up. It's obvious he's in trouble. And both of them walk on the other side. Man, they just come from being a week at camp. They were spending a that priest spent a week, one of his weeks, in the presence of God, like going to church camp. And soon as he comes on his way home, he's hit with something that challenges what he just learned, what he just experienced. Huh? Don't tell me that we aren't going to be confronted with something that will challenge us today challenge what we've just heard today as soon as we walk out or before we even get out of the building God's going to say well let's see if that's the test that's the acid test to see whether or not we really love him and we really listen to him let's see what Tim will do when I put something in his path what will he do when it comes to helping people Levite's the same way. He's been spending all this time in the temple helping the priest. And he just walks. How can you be so cold-hearted? That's what it says. He happened to go down, pass on the other side. Levite did the same thing. But the Samaritan, he, he took pity and he went to him. What is the difference? The priest and the Levite see a mess. The priest and the Levite see a problem. Well, there's obviously it's a mess. Obviously it's a problem. But the Samaritan sees a person. He sees the problem. He sees the mess. But he sees the person. Why, why, are the priests, why does the priest of Levi have so much trouble seeing what's really going on here? It's because they're looking through their selfishness. That's why. 
I'm selfish. I'm selfish. Right now, Carmody is doing this. Yeah! I don't know if that's a warning. But she points what she wants. She doesn't get her way. Yeah! Matthew's like, I don't know. Is it time to spank now? I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do yet. I'm going, man, I don't know. Wait till you see the white of her eyes. Then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Just think. We learn it early. If I cry, I get my way. If I cry long enough, I get my way. If I throw my fit, I get my way. We're selfish people. I'm a very selfish person. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I'm a selfish person. Oh, Tim, you're not so selfish. You're beating yourself up. Look, if I won't admit I'm selfish, are you going to admit you're selfish today? Will you meet me halfway? I'm saying you better be in tune with your own selfishness somewhere, wherever it is. Of course I'm not selfish in some areas. But i got some sacred places I am selfish about. I can be selfish with my time. I can be selfish with my money. I can be selfish with, with, my, with my talents. And you know when you're selfish, guess what happens? You see... You don't, you don't see people, you see problems. And you begin to ask those questions. Will they take advantage of me? How much is it going to cost me? How long will this take? And I want you to... I want, guys, I'll tell you what, I feel like we've got to really see this. We've got to see this. You've got to see this this morning. Are you suffering from a private faith? What do you mean, Tim? I'm talking about we go to church. Uh, listen, guys, I am so grateful that we're looking at Jesus this year. It's all about looking at Him. But if it's about getting the warm fuzzies and getting close to God, and that's all it's going to be, you are missing it. That's the priest and the Levite. Well, you know, it's about time we talked about Jesus and getting our motives right. Praise God, we need to get our motives right. But I follow Jesus. I look to Jesus, not so I just benefit, but so He can use me. I'm to become like Him. And what was He about? Others. So if all you're doing is getting, you know, built up, your faith is getting built up, and, oh, God is so good to me, and that's about as far as it goes, guess what? That's not much. watched a movie uh, called Road to Glory. It's about Woody Guthrie. And then I did some reading on Woody Guthrie. And there's a moment in the movie where, this, where he uh, is with a woman he's met that's rich. He, he's living during the Dust Bowl. And he's with people who are so poor you could spell it with five O's. I mean, it's bad. It is bad. They have nothing and he begins to sing some songs and people get his attention. He begins to sing protest songs against the man, the establishment. And he's getting into all kinds of trouble. He meets this woman who's rich. As they're sitting there, he sees all this and they begin to discuss about human beings. And he says, well, I'm with human beings. You're not a human being. 
What? I feel... She runs a soup kitchen. I feel... And he says to her, How can you have all of this and not share it with anybody? You're just sharing a little bit. You're not human. Where's your humanity? He said, That's pretty harsh, Tim. Am I supposed to give up everything and just give it away willy-nilly? Well, that wouldn't make any sense. Then we'd have to help you. But are we, are we just... It's all about what I'm getting. My walk with God is about my walk with God. And I'm not... I'm on the path of God and I don't even notice somebody needing help. That's not why I'm on the path. It's so me and God can walk hand in hand and ignore everything around me. I need to look for needs. See, good neighbors are not selfish. They think of others. Philippians 2 says, Don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of other people too. What makes the Samaritan so good is his focus is broader than himself. It's bigger than himself. He's beginning to see people like God does. And so he sees needs. He doesn't see race. He doesn't see sexual orientation. He doesn't see social status. What he sees is a person that needs help. We don't know anything about this guy other than he's in trouble. And that's all he sees. Friend or foe? Stranger? or Doesn't matter. You see, he's not as concerned about who deserves his help, but who needs his help. And if he sees himself at all, because we're to love others like ourselves, he sees himself in that situation. He pictures himself, I could be there. And thinks to himself, what would I want someone to do if I was in that? What would I need from people if I was in that? Because I'm on the same road. And I just happen to be standing right now. I think about all the times when God saw you and I. Think about that for a minute. He saw you there. Life has been tough. Beat you up. Left Satan used you and left you for half dead. And he comes along. People, Christians come along. Friends come along. And they just don't see it. They don't get it. But your God waits and stops and sees it and comes to you. He will not pass you by. His heart goes out to you. Why? Because he couldn't bear the thought of walking by and leaving you. No, he stops to help you. And it's that love. That's how you know you're getting the love of God, guys. You start noticing needs and start doing something about it. You look at needs. Here's the second thing. I'm a good neighbor when I take action. While others are noticing and doing nothing, the the good Samaritan takes matters into his own hands. He says, I'm doing something about it. Compassion. Compassion moved the good Samaritan to do this, what we're reading here in verses 34 through 35. He went to him. Didn't run from him. Didn't pass him by. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the end. And took care of him. I was trying to imagine what that must look like. He brought him to an inn, probably in Jericho. 
Possibly there was one on the road at the time. No one knows. There's evidence of some ruins of an inn on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, but we're not sure. But he takes him to this place, and, I could, and he says he took care of him. Like, what do you think he did, Tim? Well, we'll just think about it. Got him in a bed, cleaned him up some more. Maybe he's telling him, it's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Does somebody just need to hear that from your lips? It's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. You're going to get through this. It gets him water. I don't know. He takes care of him. The next day, it's day two now, he takes out some... He has two denarii. He has some money. He gives it to this guy. And then he says, Hey, here's my charge card number. And I'll take care of wherever else. See, guys, compassion without action is just an empty emotion. You say, well, my heart goes out to people. And I want you to know I, I, I get that too. But if I do nothing, guess what? It's nothing. It's nothing. 1 John 3, look at what John says. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Here's what he says. This is how we know what love is. He goes, I know what love is. What is it? Jesus defines it. Jesus is the one that defines it. Now, he doesn't say John. He, you know, I laid down my life. No, he says Jesus defines it. Laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's how we should treat each other in the kingdom. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how could the love of God be in that person? Well, I do. My heart goes out to him. No, wait. Read on. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. He's saying compassion without action is nothing. You have compassion for people, but you're doing nothing about it. You don't really have the compassion of God. That is human compassion. Let me ask you this morning, who needs you to help them this morning? They're not on my path, they're on yours. Who needs you to, to, you know, to help them? What is, let me ask you this, what is your compassion compelling you to do? Because a good neighbor takes action. Be that good neighbor, take action. Do something. I, you know, t- guys, there's times I'll watch people needing help and, and, and they're in discipleship groups and their groups aren't really, well, you know, they never seem to ever be grateful. Well, maybe they need something else, another kind of help. Kicking the pants might help them. Maybe, maybe, maybe they need help with some guidance and some wisdom, not just throw some money at it. Okay, I understand that. But don't just sit there and do nothing. Well, I've done all I can. Keep doing it then. Keep doing it. Here's the third thing. I'm a good neighbor when I'm generous. What a crazy passage. I noticed this yesterday about 11 o'clock. I was looking at this passage going, oh my, oh my. The next day it says, the next day it says here in verse 35. Notice that. And I put day two on there. Because the first day, he picked him up, right? And then day two, he's saying, okay, blah, 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 I'll take care of it. Then he talks about day three. Look, I'll come back and reimburse any extra expense. This guy spent three days on this problem. Are you crazy? That's too much. 
Helping others will cost you. I used to say it this way. Helping others may cost you. No. No may about it. Helping others can cost you. No. It will cost you. And you know I've noticed this about helping others? It usually costs me more than I budgeted for. Anybody else notice that? I just need a little thing done, and it turns out to be a lot of things done. I just need a little help here, and it ends up being a lot more than I expected. I thought it was only going to be this. And it ended up being this and this and this and this. And, and this guy, you know, okay, I'll just help see if the guy's breathing. Okay, he's fine. No, he picks him up, takes him to an inn. He's generous. And he's taking, look, he's taking future responsibility for anything else. Is that good stewardship? I don't know. We've had a whole year on stewardship. That don't sound like good, being a good steward, giving your credit card to somebody. Now, I'm not saying hand your credit card to somebody. Don't do that, okay? But I do think it's interesting is that smart? Well, the guy can take advantage of it. The guy can rack up. I want room service. I want a back rub. I need a little extra money for a suit. Put it on my tab. Oh, I'm sorry. His tab. It costs to help someone. I know I'm being funny with that. Maybe because I'm trying to make it easy to take. But I just noticed that he is a good steward. Jesus would... If he didn't think the man was being a good steward, he would denounce it. How's he a good steward, Tim? Because he's investing in people, not just himself. He's investing in others. That's the greatest way to live, is to help others. Look what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Tell them, that's those that have, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others, always being ready, it says. Be ready. There's my agenda. There's my plan. There's my purpose. Being ready. By doing... Guys, do you have a plan on how to help people? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you preparing yourself mentally and just heart-wise to go, you know, my strategy needs to be more of God and less of Tim. My agenda can be interrupted. My plans will be interrupted at any given moment. And I need to be okay with that. And look what he says here. He says, by doing this, by doing what? Being generous with those and ready to share. They will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. So that they may experience true life. Isn't that what Jesus was trying to answer to begin with? How do you inherit eternal life? You do this, you'll live. You want true life? You want to be, live the life of God? Live the greatest life you could possibly live? Be generous to those that need, ready to share. And you're storing up a treasure, a good foundation for the future. That's good stewardship. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was putting in a lot of auto glass for reasons. And um, got a call. The office said, I need you, we need you to go up and take care of this job up north of Brighton. Okay, so I drive up north of Brighton. It's for a 91 Dodge Dakota pickup. 1991. 
Dodge Dakota pickup. Now, Gary, I'm sure you know, and I know my brother knows, that the 91 Dodge Dakota pickup, if the original glass is in the car, is, well, I'll say it this way. If you have a 1991 Dodge Dakota pickup, and it's got a broken windshield, I want to recommend Farmland Auto Glass <laughs> to put that in. You do not want to put this windshield in. The urethane is hard as a rock. It's just there, and the glass is everywhere. You always cut myself. It's just a mess. So I'm driving up, and I'm, I'm going through. You know, the, the directions are like, you know, the road to Hana. If you okay, well, finally I get, I get there, and I. And I see a 91 Dodge Dakota pickup, and I'm like, and I look to see if it's had another glass put in, and it says Mopar, and I go, oh, 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 no. And the guy goes, no, no, not that one, over here. Where? Over here. And I walk in his garage, and it looks like a speed shop, and standing before me with the windshield already out. He said, man, that was hard to get out. Really? I find it quite easy. He said, come out in pieces. Really? He turned this 91 Dodge Dakota pickup into a funny car. It's a drag truck. I kid you not. The wheels were at least this wide. Slicks. $800 a piece. He had two of them. (laughs) He didn't have any extras sitting around, is what I'm trying to tell you. The front wheels are little tricycle tires, the kind you see, you know, and race car dragsters, you know, and I can just imagine this thing shaking your rib cage. It doesn't have the original engine in it, really. It's got some morphed out crazy V8, chrome all over it. He's got a head scoop. He says the scoop goes almost to the top of the truck. It's parallel to the top of the truck from the hood. Supercharger. He's got a transmission. It doesn't even fit. He's not even supposed to be in a 91 Dodge Dakota. Like, it should be illegal, okay? And it's put in. And it's from another kind of car, heavy duty. The differential, which some of you men know, and ladies, the differential, instead of being really wide, it's real skinny to accommodate those big fat tires. And, and then it's painted beautiful green, got a roll bar in it, tack, all these gauges telling you everything about it. And... It's painted this beautiful green with at least 50 skulls airbrushed on it with ram horns that are entwined. And all the skulls look like this. I made a cramp in my mouth just doing that. That's the truth. Give me a second. The eyeballs have a white dot in the eye socket. So they look like, when you pull up. I go, when are you going to race it? Oh, I'm not racing it. You're not racing it? No. I'm just showing it. It is decked out. He's got over $25,000 in this 1991 Dodge Dakota pickup. I like Dodge Dakotas. Oh, really? What are you trying to say? I'm just trying to sit there and I'm thinking to myself, how much money and focus this man has spent on himself. Now, is there anything wrong with having a hobby? Well, I hope not. 
I'm in trouble. You are too. We like hobbies. I think it's great to spend some money on yourself. It's not, no, nothing wrong with splurging and going out and having a good time. But to love someone like you love yourself doesn't mean you do it all for yourself. But you give it to others to help others. I couldn't help but think this, this guy has all this money. Did I mention he's divorced? I wonder why. I wonder why. Wah, wah. Yeah. Is he experiencing true life? Now you say, Tim, you're judging him. I, you're right. I don't know. Maybe he's a very generous man. Well, all I could see was a lot of me in that garage. A lot of me, 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 me. His daughter comes up, 16, beautiful, walks up, hi, daddy. And he just lights up, hi. And you can see that matters to him. So I know his family matters to him. But I just wonder, guys, if we find ourselves, it's all about, you know, in my home, my stuff, my DNA, my things. Am I generous? I'm so generous to myself. I'm not kidding. But am I generous to others? The Samaritan uses what he has to help others. If you've got a pencil, write these verses down look at them later. These are verses that aren't up on the screen or in your notes. And then I'm going to close here. 2 Corinthians 8.14 2 Corinthians 8, verse 14. Ephesians 4, verse 28. I want you to look at these later. Ephesians 4, 28. I know 429, but I don't know 428. Titus 3, verse 14. And Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Look at them later. Why, Tim? Because those verses... The Bible talks a lot about this, helping other people. Those verses sound like these next two I'm showing you. Share with God's people who need help, it says in Romans 12, verse 13. Share with God's people who need help. Look for people who need help and welcome them into your homes. Look at that again. We see all of our points that we've just made in one little verse. Share with God's people. There's the generosity. You need help. Look for people, look at needs, take action here, and welcome them into your homes. Take action. It says in Hebrews thirteen sixteen, but don't forget to help others and to share your possessions with them. And look here. If you're a priest, you understand this verse. This too is like offering a sacrifice that pleases God. He's saying to that, you know, here's that priest who just been involved offering sacrifice to God. He says, he wants you to know as priests, the Bible calls every Christian a priest. As priests, he wants you to know there's other sacrifices you can make besides coming to church and reading your Bible. It's helping others. It's sharing your possessions with them, sharing what you have. Everybody has something different here. You got some stuff, I got some stuff, you got different stuff, I got different stuff. Some of you have less stuff, some of you have more stuff. God wants you to use that stuff to help others, to share with others. It's like offering Him a sacrifice, it's like offering a bull or lamb. It's like a drink offering, like a burn offering. It's sacred, it pleases God. 
I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to stop. It's a story about me. I was a teenager. Remember that, please. Because I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed of it still. I was coming home late. I think, I think it was from a date with Denise. I think it was. It was a Saturday night. And I was coming home. And uh, we live about eight miles outside of Albion. So I'm driving home on Route 15. It's a very narrow highway. And as I'm about a mile away from the house, I see something. I see some lights flashing. And as I get closer, a car is flipped upside down. And a woman is running out trying to flag me down. And I drive on by. Why'd you do that, Tim? I was scared. I was scared. Do accidents scare you? They scare me. They terrify me. When I, my wife is cool under pressure. I'm wigging out in panic and still do. When I see somebody in a seizure or somebody bleeding, I might pass out right in front of everybody. I'm just, I'm such a wimp. And I, I see that and I go, oh my. And I get on my CB and I go to channel 9. And I'm trying to talk to the police in Albion. You know, anybody there? Was there a county policeman? Any? And then all of a sudden the woman clicks on the, Hello? Hello? I need help. My boyfriend and I have had an accident on Route 15 near Ditch Bank Road. I need help. Can you come help me? Well, ma'am, I, uh, uh, well I'm, I'm, I'm heading home right now. I'm, I'm, uh, hold on. And I'm panicking. I'm wigging out. I think she knows it's me that drove by. She has no idea. I get home. I make the phone call. I call the police. I, and they call an ambulance. And instead of going back to the scene, it's just a mile away, folks. I stay in my house and I look out the window with binoculars. Here comes the police. Here comes the ambulance. Here comes another policeman from Wayne County. And they're all working. And I'm watching. Then I watch the ambulance go to Fairfield. The Wayne County cop follow him. The Edwards County cop waits on the wrecker. They get the car and they go back to Albion. And it's pitch black again. And I think to myself, you wuss. Why didn't you do something to help them? But I did. I called the cops. I did something. Then my dad got home. He worked second shift. Here he comes. What are you doing up? Well, I could, he could tell I was bothered. What's wrong? Well, I, Dad, I come up on this wreck. Where at? Over by the Ditch Bank Road. Really? Well, who was it? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I don't, I don't know who it was. What do you mean you don't know? Well, well, it was flipped on its... I couldn't tell who the driver was because it was flipped upside down. It was flipped upside down and you didn't stop? No, I... I here I was justifying myself. I came home and I called the police and I, I got them help. But did you go back? No. So there was nobody there? And I start crying. I'm 17. Dad, I'm, I was scared. I don't care if you were scared. That person, they, that somebody could have died. But I was terrified. I was terrified. 
And he looks at me and he goes, I didn't raise you that way. And you know what bothered me the most was probably what had happened that night, but to see the disappointment on my father's face. I've, I still see his face. Why are you telling us that, Tim? I know it's difficult sometimes to help people. I know it can be scary, it can be hard, it can be, it can be a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time, a lot of energy. But you don't want to disappoint your Heavenly Father, church. And I believe I'm talking to hearts here that love, that love God, that want to help. And I'm saying, let's get out here. Right, I mean, right here, even amongst ourselves, look for needs. Look for needs. Do something. I don't, well, you know, do more than a phone call. Hey, listen, if you can't do it all, at least the Good Samaritan got an innkeeper to help him. Get somebody to help you. And let's help one another. And let's be good neighbors in God's neighborhood. I don't know what decision you need to make today. I know somebody here probably needs to look at their selfishness. And you need to look at it good, long, and hard, man. Maybe it's your compassion. You know, I'm, I'm not as compassionate as I think I am. I, need, I realize it needs to be active. Well, I want to ask you to make a commitment this morning. This story, Jesus ends his story by saying, go and do likewise. He's saying there must be application to this one. If you miss all the other ones, this is the one you don't want to miss. Eternity hangs in the balance in this one. Make a decision. Who is it that needs help? Why don't you put their name down on that card and say, I need to help this person. If you're enabling them, we'll deal with that. But they need your help. Don't pass them by. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a very, very, very practical story, Lord, that we find, you know, it it doesn't need a lot of explanation. It doesn't need a lot of help, really. Stop and think about it. And we have more problems probably with this topic than perhaps any other. It rates up there with an addiction. It rates up there with with anger and materialism, Lord. I pray, Father, that we, we as a church will let our neighborhood, as each, each of us here, wherever we are, grow and expand beyond our family and friends. That we'll even help strangers, Lord, that need help. Give us a heart of compassion that moves us to action and sacrifice. To imitate your Son who would give himself up as a fragrant sacrifice to you. Let us see that what we do with others can be just as much of a sacrifice that's pleasing to you, Lord. We, I pray, Father, all of us here, this, that we begin a week here where you're very pleased with how we treat others. Father, I pray those that have come back from camp, they're getting confronted. They've already probably ran into something that's challenging what they've learned. Let them meet that challenge, Lord. Pass that test. And let you take their heart. In fact, Father, let we pray that you'll take all of our hearts and make a difference in our neighborhood. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.